Bootleggers, gamblers, racketeers, and even a boxing champion lined up at a St. Paul hospital, offering to donate blood to keep Dapper Dan Hogan alive on December 4, 1928. The Tuesday had started out routinely enough for the popular owner of the Green Lantern Saloon, the unofficial Wabasha Street headquarters of St. Paul's thriving underworld. For 15 years, Hogan had served as the go-between for corrupt cops and criminals. The 48-year-old Hogan had just finished off a late breakfast and was heading downtown from the St. Paul home on West 7th Street, near today's entrance ramp to 35E. When he pressed his foot on the starter to back his car out of the garage, the Minneapolis Star Tribune reported, a short time afterward, there was a loud explosion. Had his right leg nearly torn off from the explosion, his head smashed through the top of the car. He was rushed to a hospital where once the word got out in the underworld, uh, criminal situations, they, they all showed up, the racketeers, the gangsters, even a boxing champ offering to give blood and transfusions to help keep Dapper Dan alive. Again, Doctors later amputated his pulverized leg, but that and all the blood transfusion offers weren't enough. I didn't know I had an enemy in the world, he uttered, as he died at 8.55 p.m. The newspaper reported, he was the idol of not a few persons, and his word was said to have been as good as a gold bond. The paper compared Hogan to Robin Hood. There will be some fewer turkeys in St. Paul this Christmas as a result of his death. In addition to Hogan's philanthropy, St. Paul's Robin Hood was also a fencer of stolen goods money launderer and fixer who ruled over the city's crime nest. It was an elaborate system of payoffs of police and judges, and most of it centered out of a saloon that's since been raised called the Green Lantern. Beginning in 1913, Hogan orchestrated a system of bribes from his perch at the Green Lantern, fittingly located just blocks from the former St. Paul police headquarters that opened in 1925. The Morning Tribune said, Dapper Dan was known throughout the Northwest and in many other places throughout the United States as a man who had the power to settle feudal wars and keep the heat out of town. Paul Maccabee authored Dillinger Slept Here, the go-to source on St. Paul's gangster era. The police chief of St. Paul, John O'Connor, a very powerful man, created what was then called the O'Connor system, named after him. We call it today the layover agreement because you could be a criminal, terrible criminal, bank robber, wanted all over America. But when you came to St. Paul, you could lay over in St. Paul if the police saw you, they'd go, uh, Alvin, good to see you to Alvin Carpus. And they would recognize exactly who you are, that you're one of the most wanted men in America, but they wouldn't arrest you because the deal with the crooks and the cops were, as long as I don't kill or rob anyone in St. Paul, I'm safe. Such notorious gangsters as John Dillinger, Al Capone, Babyface Nelson, Ma Barker, Alan Karpis, Bonnie Parker, and Clyde Barrow made Minnesota an epicenter 
of illegal activity. It's like when you're a kid and you have a safe base, this is the safe base that they touched upon. Hogan tried to keep St. Paul from becoming a bloodbath like Chicago. The rifle range at Bureau headquarters in Washington, and the targets might be gangsters. The newspaper said, He's known to have told criminals on many occasions that they could stay in St. Paul as long as they behaved. Police knew that he frequently ordered thieves and gangsters out of the Twin Cities and sometimes gave them money so they might be on their way. Hogan's death is still considered unsolved. Most experts, including Paul Maccabee, is pretty sure that there was a guy named Harry Sawyer. The son of an Orthodox Jewish butcher, Sawyer was born in 1890 in Poland or Lithuania, making him 10 years younger than Hogan, his boss at the Green Lantern. The sixth of nine children, Sawyer changed his name from Sandlovich after emigrating. Police arrested Sawyer, who used the alias name Harry Porsche, for grand larceny, robbery, bail jumping, and auto theft from 1918 to 1920. He made his way from Nebraska to Minnesota, climbing the underworld ladder to become a top Hogan aide. And when Hogan died, he was reportedly had left $50,000 for his wife in a vault in case anything should happen to him. But when she turned the key and opened that vault, it was empty. And the only other guy besides Dan Hogan who had the key uh, was Harry Sawyer. Maccabee said, you ask who benefits, who has the means, motive, and opportunity and everyone who's reviewed the facts points absolutely and resoundingly at Harry Sawyer. He wouldn't have known how to make the car bomb, but he certainly could have hired someone to do it. And they still have part of the bomb in the police station, apparently, according to Maccabee. There was a guy, Rothstein was his name, who was behind the Black Sox scandal when they threw the 1919 World Series. And John Sales made a movie about it. And when, after the famed White Sox fielder, shoeless Joe Jackson confessed his guilt, it said that one weeping fan of his cried out, say it isn't so. He, he was later killed in New York and the gun was traced back to St. Paul. So some people theorize, there's no proof, but it's a good theory that uh, in retaliation for Rothstein's murder, they sent some New York bomb makers to blow up the head of the St. Paul crime underworld, which was Dapper Dan Hogan. More than six years later, Sawyer was arrested in Mississippi for being the finger man who pointed out St. Paul banker Edward Bremer to the gang members who kidnapped him for a $200,000 ransom. Sawyer pointed out Bremer at a St. Paul bowling alley. The banker was later snatched at gunpoint after dropping his daughter off at the Summit School in St. Paul two kidnappings, one of the brewer Ham from the Ham's Brewery, and later, a couple months later, a banker named Ed Bremer. Um, their kidnappings happened right there in Minnesota. Both men were re returned for uh, one had a $100,000 ransom in the Ham case and $200,000 in the case of Bremer. All of a sudden, the public started getting outraged when their community leaders, their, their businessmen and their bankers were getting snatched for ransoms. And uh, the public kind of put the pressure on the cops and the politicians to clean up this 
this dirty, corrupt system that had plagued St. Paul. That was the breaking point. Paul Maccabee. When the good people of St. Paul, the rich people of St. Paul, realized, oh my God, you mean we like to gamble in the gangsters' gambling dens. We love to drink the liquor that John Dillinger's friends bring to town. But you mean they might kidnap us or our husbands for ransom? And that was the break. That was when the people of St. Paul uh, demanded that the uh, crooks be arrested and there was a clean sweep of the St. Paul Police Department. That sounds like a good deal. Unfortunately, none of the crooked cops spent a day in jail. So when people ask me, does crime pay? The answer is yes, and the hours are good. And the criminals of that period, the, the official criminals, the cops who were on the take with bribes did not suffer any punishment. For On Minnesota History, I'm Jennifer Johnson. On Minnesota History is a podcast based on the work of Kurt Brown, whose column, On Minnesota History, appears each Sunday in the Minneapolis Star Tribune newspaper. But if you were promptly report the receipt of any threats of kidnapping or extortion to this bureau, the entire power and facilities of the Federal Bureau of Investigation will be placed at your disposal to bring the culprits to justice.